So just like Paul says, we're looking at the I am's of Jesus over the next sort of nine weeks or so. I bet you know about it already. Because like me, when you were at school, you did your homework. And even though there wasn't any homework as such, probably everybody knew it was going to happen because it's in sort of bits and bobs that were sort of uh, being given out. So if you'd have wanted to read about it, you could have done. Didn't have to, because over the next few weeks, you might be wanting to do anyway, because it'll be really good, and hopefully, like Paul is saying, you'll get a lot out of it and enjoy it. You might have seen this poster around, the I Ams of Jesus. How did Jesus describe himself? How is that relevant to me? And that's really the crux of it all. That's the bottom line. How did Jesus describe himself? And what's that mean to me? How does that change my life? You know a lot of interaction. Let's go for the first bit of interaction today. There were 12 disciples. Without looking it up, because that is called cheating, what were the names? Uh, well, Paul's wrong right from the start, but we wanted Paul to say that because then we're all going to feel better when we know what the real disciples are called, because they weren't all the disciples. But we all know that, and Paul knows that as well. He's just kidding. <laughs> right, so does anyone want to give me a list of a few names? Yeah. Oh. If I had a gold star, I would give a gold star. Right. Okay, anyone else want to give me some names? Thomas. Yeah, yeah, this is all good, yeah. Andrew, oh, well done. Matthew, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not, but I'm just letting you... It's all about expressing yourself, isn't it? So I'm letting you express yourself. Any others that you've got? Yep, so Simon, Peter, yeah. Okay, should we have a look then? Here's the list. We've got Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, give that lady a gold star, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon and Judas. And if you did want to look them up, that's the two places in the Bible where you can do in Matthew 10, 2-4, and Luke 6, 12-16. Now, there's something very interesting about this. Obviously, we can see it isn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes as well. Scholars think that only two of these men were not martyred. Do you want to give me any names? John, very nice. And who was the other person that wasn't martyred? We've had the name mentioned already. Judas, Judas of course, because he killed himself, didn't he? So there's just two of them that wasn't martyred. Everyone else was martyred for knowing Jesus. Wow. Uh, Matthias. That he was the extra one, weren't he? Uh, yes, he was, he was killed, apparently, from what I read during the week. Yeah, okay. Any other hard questions, Paul is at the back, and you might want to direct them to him at the end. <laughs> okay, I've lost my train of thought. Right, no I haven't, because, that's alright. But remember, Paul likes hard questions. I like the easy ones, thank you. So, there are four Gospels. Paul, would you like to tell me the name of the four Gospels? He's got it in one. Let's give Paul a hand clap. Yeah, whoa, well done Paul. Now, of course, if you've read all the Gospels, you'll know that they're quite different from each other in various ways. So we've got Matthew, Mark and Luke, and they're called the Synoptics. 
And that means, like, you put them next to each other and they look very much alike, sort of seen together, is what the synoptics are meaning. And, of course, the amazing thing is, 95% of Mark is found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? A lot, a lot, a lot. We've got John, just like Paul told us about. But I've got a warning that's coming up. Tangent alert, tangent alert. Because sometimes when you have something that's really interesting, you just think, I want to say that, but it doesn't quite fit in anywhere, but I still want to say it. So here's a little tangent. Luke, you know this probably, he didn't just write Luke, he also wrote, wrote Acts. All right? And John didn't just write John, he also wrote three epistles and the Revelation. And someone said about Patmos, didn't they, earlier? So we'll come to that in a few minutes as well. So Matthew and John were both disciples of Jesus. Yes. But Mark and uh, Luke would. Not the original 12, anyway. So Mark is also called John Mark, and he was a friend of Paul, and people think he was a relative of Barnabas. And people think as well that a lot of Mark's material came from Peter. So Peter was there in the thick of it, wasn't he? And he'd have told John Mark, or Mark, lots of the stories and lots of things that Jesus said. And so we think that Mark got a lot of his material from Peter. Whereas Luke, who was a close friend of Paul, and he was a Gentile, by the way, which is quite interesting, he sort of found the information out because he sort of knew about Jesus and obviously knew all the disciples quite well. Now, John wrote his gospel in 85 AD, or thereabouts, and he wrote it in the city of Ephesus. Now, that's quite famous already, isn't it? Because what do we hear about Ephesus, is there a book, something like that? Ephesians, right. So there was a good church going on, and lots of people think that, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus said, take care of my mum, to John. And so we think that Mary and John and quite a few other people were in this church in Ephesus, and John was looking after Mary. 20, 25 years later, after uh, the Gospel writers Matthew, Mark and Luke had written, that was when John wrote his Gospel. And by then he was a fairly old man. And so maybe he'd been preaching a lot in the different churches about who Jesus was and what he had said. So he knew a lot of stories about Jesus. And he put them down and sort of said about them a lot. We know he was a Jesus, called him, well, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was definitely in the inner circle of the disciples. One person, I can't remember who it was, said about James. And it was James that was the brother of John. And in Acts 12, 1 and 2, he was the first disciple to be martyred, to be murdered. And so we hear about James then being killed in about 44 AD. And it always reminds me, when I hear about their father of the magic roundabout, because their father's name was Zebedee. And it just reminds me of sort of when I was young and all these different characters you hear on television, and you just think, well, it wasn't just a sort of a, a boingy sort of creature. It was a person's name, 
and a biblical person who had two brilliant sons, maybe more, but I wonder what their breakfast was like when they were grown up or when they were older, what they talked about. Because it's just great, you sort of see a name in the Bible and you just wonder, at least I do, I just wonder, well, what was going on there? How did they relate to each other? What was their family services like? What did they do? John's letters were written in Ephesus a few years later than the Gospels. And then when, uh, I think his name was Domitian, uh, the emperor Domitian, he sent uh, lots of Christians all in various places because he persecuted them. And so he made John go to Patmos where he wrote Revelation. And Patmos is an island quite close to Turkey. Over half of John's gospel is given over to the last few days of, his, of Jesus' ministry. And it's, again, very interesting because in a moment we'll see that 90%, I'll put it on now, 90% of John is unique to John. It's in no other book. So here's some of the things that are in John. Uh, eight miracles uh, John writes about, but only six of them are in John. That's the water into wine, the healing of the official's son, the healing of a man at a pool, the man born blind, Lazarus, we don't read that in any other gospel, and the second catch of fish after the resurrection. And some of the conversations that we read about Jesus having are only found in John. Nicodemus, the woman at the well in Samaria, and uh, Jesus' prayer in chapter 17, that's in none of the other Gospels. And the Last Supper, that's not really talked about, in a way, in John's Gospel. So he has other ways of talking about things. And the I Ams are something that's in John's Gospel, but not in the other Gospels. I wonder, can we name some of the I Ams? You don't need to say it out loud, that was a rhetorical question just then. But here's a list of all the I Ams. So Jesus said, I am... Here's a list of them all. I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the gate. I am the good shepherd that we're going to be thinking about this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life that Paul's going to talk about next week. I am the true vine. I am the alpha and the omega. Now, the... Really, uh, scholarly, shall we say, among you will know that perhaps not all of those are in John's Gospel. You're dead right. Because there's nine weeks that we've got to fill with Jesus saying, I am. So what we've got to do is not have the seven I ams of Jesus in John, but we've got to magic them around, haven't we? So in Revelation, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega. So John wrote it, so I've included it in the I Ams of Jesus. It's just in another book that John wrote, but it's still there. And it's these metaphors that show that Jesus was God. He claims to be God, and yet he's our saviour. So all of these things, most of them revert back to what happened in, in the Old Testament, sort of things that you'd read about in the Old Testament are these kind of languages, these metaphors, these symbols. And so when John says, this is what Jesus said, the readers and the listeners at the time would know exactly what they meant because they're saying, ah, he's saying he's the vine, he's saying he's the resurrection and the life, he's the good shepherd, the gates. A lot of these things we'd know about from Old Testament times. 
But there's something even more stunning that Jesus said. He didn't just say, I am the good shepherd, I am the Messiah. He said, I am. Different versions from uh, John 8, 48, 59, but especially verse 58. So in the message, believe me, said Jesus, I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. In Philips, I tell you in solemn truth, returned Jesus, before there was an Abraham, I am. New Living Translation, Jesus replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And then the Holman's Christian Standard Bible, Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that doesn't really make grammatical sense, does it? Because if you sort of say, uh, I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Like, to make it more grammatical, it was, I was born before Abraham was born. That would make more sense, wouldn't it? But Jesus is referring back to something mega in the Bible. There's so many mega things in the Bible that we could look at. But here's one of the mega things, Exodus chapter 3. You can turn to it if you want to, or you can just listen to me read it out. Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 13 to 15. This is Moses having a real encounter with God. Something amazing was going. Moses said to God, it's all about the burning bush, this is what's going on there. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, in capital letters, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. He's really expressing his eternal life, isn't he? I am. It's just saying, I wasn't then and I'm going to die. I wasn't born at some time and then I'm going to die later. I am. There's always me. I'm always here. It's just like, you know, I go to lots of schools and sometimes the children say, Mr. Stevenson, because that's what they call me, or sir, I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> but they call me Mr. Stevenson or sir. They say, Mr. Stevenson, what's your real name? And I say, and I show them my badge, and they say, Mr. And I say, oh, that's not your real name, because children like to know your real name, don't they? There's something special about it. And so I'll kid them for a bit longer and then they'll see my badge says Mr. John Stevenson on it and they'll say, oh, we know what your name is now and things like that because we children like to know the person's real name. And so they'll sort of then they'll say to me, oh, oh, we know that Mrs. whoever's, Mrs. Sweeney, make a name up. Mrs. Sweeney's name, her name is Beryl. And uh, Mr... Mr. Todd's name is Barry, or whatever it might be. They're just making, so they know, and they're happy about it, because they know the teacher's real name, not just Miss, or Sir, or Mr., or Mrs., something, but they know the real name. How brilliant that God said to the Israelites, this is my real name. I love you that much, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm not just going to be a God you worship from afar, I'm not just going to be around 
and then you'll just worship me and not who I am. But you're even going to let, I'm even going to let you know what my name is. And that's what Jesus was referring back to. He was saying, I was there. I was at the burning bush. Just as I said, I am. So I'm saying it now. I am these things. And I am the Messiah. And then we know from Philippians 2 how you might remember it was a sort of an English, uh, sort of an early rather, early hymn in the New Testament times. And they'd sing that and that's perhaps why Paul wrote it down in the letter to Philippi. How Jesus, though very nature God, just became a man and died for us. He was alive before Abraham was alive. How did the people react? Just going back to that again. Remember it was John chapter 8. At the end, of the, so the people, the Israelites, the people in, uh, are listening to, to uh, Jesus and they're saying to him, who do you say you are? What's going on here? And Jesus says, I am. But then at the end of that chapter, what happens? They say, at this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I wonder what it would be like if we were there. We'd know all about the scriptures. we know about God calling himself, I am. And then this bloke comes and says, before Abram was, I am. We know exactly what he meant. And that's why they picked up stones. They thought they were blas- he was blaspheming. Kill him? He can't be right. Who can, who can say he's God, apart from God? But that was Jesus. He was saying, I am. Even though the people around him didn't understand. And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at all of these I am sayings. Like we say, Jesus said, I am this, I am that, seven times in the Gospel of John. And we've got it over nine weeks, so we're having these extra two as well. But the one we're looking at today is Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And that's in chapter 10, verse 11. And this is the fourth one, the fourth proclamation, we can say, of what Jesus said. Now, probably some of you are on Facebook. And sometimes I look on Facebook, and this week I saw this photo. It was Andy and Joy, who were in London at the moment, they'd posted this picture. And people were praying in Parliament, Christians Against Poverty, and the thing at the top of the page was, I am the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I was thinking, what a coincidence, that they're sort of saying about that in Parliament this week, people praying in Parliament and saying, yes, Lord, you're the Good Shepherd, help us to be blah, 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 and praying about it and all sorts of things, I'm sure. But that's just exactly what we're looking at today. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know personally any shepherds. Do you? No. Oh, a few nods, that's good. But I do remember a programme on television called One Man and His Dog. Yeah, do you remember? And I looked it up, and it was on from 1976 to 1999. And it's on occasionally now, but part of Country File. But One Man and His Dog, apparently in the early 80s, it was very popular. And at least 8 million people watched it. So even though there aren't many shepherds around, 
we know that in Wales and parts of like Exmoor maybe and Scotland, there are plenty of shepherds. And Jesus says he is the good shepherd. What an interesting word. Let's have a look at some double Dutch. Here it is. So Jesus said, or at least John says, this is what Jesus said. Ego, Amy, ha, poimen, ha, kalos. Wow. Doesn't that make your heart spin? Doesn't it? Can I help you by making your heart spin? Let's look at one word, the word good. Kalos, the last word. And I looked it up. And it says, it means beautiful, good, or worthy. And then if you want a bigger definition, it says, beautiful as an outward sign of the inward good. Noble, honourable character. Good, worthy, honourable, noble, and seen to be so. Then another book, it says, uh, attractively good. Good that inspires and motivates others to embrace what is lovely, beautiful, and praiseworthy i.e. well done as to be appealing. I thought, wow, that describes Jesus in just one Greek word, that he is good, and he's not just good, but he inspires and he motivates and he makes people change. Just in that last word. Does that make your heart spin now? A bit more anyway. Yeah, that's good. So when I was looking that up in my sort of books, I was thinking... Wow, what a great word. That is so good. That describes Jesus so well. I am the good shepherd. John 10, verse 11. Here's a few other versions that say the same verse and chapter. This is from the message. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself and sacrifices himself if necessary. The Amplified. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd risks and lays down his own life for the sheep. The good news, I am the good shepherd who is willing to die for the sheep. The New Living Translation, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And in the worldwide English New Testament, it says, I am the good shepherd. I am the only one who really cares for the sheep. The good shepherd is willing to die to save his sheep. On all of those verses, all those translations for that one verse, you just look at them and say, there's a facet of that verse I've never thought about, like risking his life, sacrificing his life, willing to die for his sheep. And it's all contained in that one verse. At the beginning of chapter 10, this takes me back to my, uh, when I was a child, when I was just reading the authorised version, the King James, because I remember how my Sunday school teachers that used the King James Bible, they'd say, verily, verily, because that's what Jesus said, isn't it? And verily, verily, and that's what it's saying at the beginning of chapter 10. If you look in the King James, it says, verily, verily. Here in my NIV, it says, very truly, I tell you. And in some versions, it might say, very truly, or truly, truly, things like that. And it means... Listen up. There's something really important that I'm going to say. This is Jesus speaking, of course. And so in the Greek it says, Amen, Amen. So that's what, he, what the Greek is saying. But it's stressing how important it is, what Jesus is about to say. So when Jesus later says, I'm the good shepherd, already he sort of said, pay attention at the back, have a look, listen to me, 
because I'm going to say something really important. And so he'd got everyone's attention, and so would you if you said verily, verily to someone, wouldn't you? You'd get their attention all right, but straight away you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to listen up, because I know what Jesus is saying is really important. And the important thing he was saying is, I am the good shepherd. What he was doing was comparing himself to the leaders of Israel at the time, the Pharisees. And in a way, he was comparing himself to the other leaders of Israel over decades and centuries, because a lot of the leaders of Israel had done bad jobs, really. In places like Ezekiel chapter 34, the shepherds of Israel are criticised. They're said, by, to, by God, you're not doing what I asked you. You're not shepherding the sheep. Sheep are often in danger, potential danger anyway. Might be a wolf coming, or some water nearby the field, or people trying to steal them. And it's the shepherd that looks after the sheep. And over the years, it's been Nick and Paul that have been the good shepherds of this congregation. And for me, I really need your prayers as I sort of come into this kind of time when I'm sort of starting to be the shepherd of the congregation or a shepherd. Just as we've prayed for Paul and Nick over the years, I'd really sort of say, I definitely need your prayers. Jill definitely needs your prayers because we want to take, us, take the sheep into pastures and, and help the sheep in difficult times and good times. But it's only as, like Paul's done in the past and Nick has done, only as we hear God's voice and they spend time with people. So our shepherds and our sheep get to know each other. And like I say, that's something I'd really want you to pray for me for as I train and, and think about more what God is doing in our lives. The sheep hear God's voice. And I was thinking about that this week, thinking about how Jesus said several things that are recorded in the Gospels. Sometimes he said a lot, and sometimes he just said one or two words. Here's a selection of the one or two words. Do you remember, the disciples were on a boat, crossing over the lake. They were having a bad time. Storm was brewing, but Jesus wasn't with them. He was in the mountains praying. And then suddenly, they see Jesus walking on the water. And what does Peter say? He says, Jesus, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. I'm, I'm going to, he knew it was Jesus anyway, I'm sure. But he said, tell me, tell me it's you and I'll come. So Jesus didn't take it literally. He didn't say, I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. Come unto me and everything will be fine. He didn't sort of, sort of like when you ring someone up sometimes or someone rings you. Yeah, when someone rings you and you pick the phone up and you listen to their voice, sometimes it's an instant oh, that's my mum, or that's my brother, or that's whoever it is. We're all like that, aren't we? When we listen to a phone, we just sort of know who it is, although often it will say on the screen nowadays, will not it, if it's like that kind of thing. So we hear a voice. So Peter heard the voice, come. And straight away he came. And he walked on the water. Didn't Peter walk on the water? Yeah. Because Jesus said, come. Jesus said, be healed. And was the person healed? Yeah, that's all Jesus said in that 
chapter and verse, Matthew 8, 3, Jesus said to the disciples, come, follow me. He didn't go into lots of depths. He just said, come and follow me. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. Again, he just said something short, but the people around knew what it meant. Well, some of the people about knew what it meant. I wonder, do we practice listening to our good shepherd? We've all got people that influence us, our friends and family and newspapers that we read or the films or the television programmes that we watch. And lots of people give their opinions for different things. I wonder how strong a voice God's voice is in our lives. Do we get led astray by other voices sometimes? Perhaps when you sort of heard I was going to speak about the Good Shepherd, you thought, ah, I bet John will talk about Psalm 23. Because that's an obvious thing to think about, isn't it? And definitely it is. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And for many of us, that's a really great psalm. When we're suffering, when things aren't so easy, we can read that psalm and just say to ourselves, thank you, Lord, that in the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. Thank you, Lord, that when I'm feeling, oh, you refresh my soul. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me and your rod and your staff, they're comforting me. But I wonder if the job of the shepherd is just to comfort. I wonder if the job of the shepherd is just to say, ah, oh, come over here, everything's all right. I think sometimes the shepherd instructs us. Sometimes the shepherd says things that aren't a comfort. I'm a fan of Leonard Ravenhill, and maybe you've heard of him as well. He was an English preacher and he was from 1907 to 1994, and he spoke a lot about revival and prayer. And this is just one of the things he said. He says, Dear believers, listen. The world is not waiting for a new definition of the gospel, but for a new demonstration of the power of the gospel. So we can talk about what Jesus means to us, but so what? People perhaps aren't so interested in that. But if we show that our lives are different from theirs, if the power that God has is at work in us, then that is something brilliant because then we'll know that other people will see us as different to them, which is a good thing. Jesus calls us to live our lives differently from how we lived when we first got saved. Jesus calls us to a fuller life to the one that we were having five years ago. Jesus is saying to us today, I don't want you to be living your life that you lived last year. I want our relationship to be growing, developing, changing. Sin is real. Hell and eternal death are real. And as we say to the Good Shepherd, Lord, change me, help me know you more, and he demonstrates our life is changing because of him, so people will come to the cross just as we come to the cross.
Mark 8, 35. Then he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen. If any of you wants to be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. And maybe Jesus as our good shepherd, our one that motivates us and inspires us to do good, is saying that today. Shoulder your cross. Daily, follow me. When we read back in chapter 10 of John again, we've sort of been looking at chapter 10 a little bit today, as well as other things. And we were saying verse 11 was where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Many of us, perhaps, will know the verse just in front of it. When Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And to me, it relates back to this. Having our full life doesn't mean holding what we've got and just keeping our things to ourselves, our lives, our possessions, our time to ourselves. It's giving our lives away. It's embracing others, even if we don't like them too much. It's being the good shepherd to other people as Jesus has been the good shepherd to us. Jesus is calling us to a voluntary act of sacrifice, just as that's what he did too. The hired hand might run away, but Jesus doesn't call us to run away. Jesus calls us to give of ourselves, to live for others, to live for him, not to put ourselves as number one in our own lives. The great thing about Christianity is we don't put our faith in a dead hero from years gone by. Some people have all sorts of heroes, don't they? They have heroes from their family, or maybe sporting heroes, or uh, politics, or musical, or royal, or artistic, or religious heroes. And I've written a list of heroes that I've thought about over the past. But all these are dead. Well, apart from one. I just noticed. <laughs> I thought, what did I write him for? So, when I read this person's name, you'll think, is he dead? He's not dead. All right. <laughs> so, these are people I think are heroes. But they're not in comparison to Jesus. Winston Churchill, the Duke of Wellington, Robert Peel, J.S. Bark, Howard Wilson, David Bowie, Queen Victoria, Mother Teresa, Vivaldi, Bernard Cribbins, that was the one, John Lennon, Muhammad Ali, Mahatma Gandhi, Leonardo da Vinci. So all of these people, apart from one, are dead, and maybe they're sort of heroes for other people as well, but they're dead. I might have a bit of influence. I'm not telling you anything new. Jesus is alive. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Jesus is alive and is still active. He's active in our lives and in millions of people's lives around the world. Jesus is alive. That's fantastic. All of these people are dead. 
But Jesus still says, I am the good shepherd. Perhaps he doesn't say just that. Maybe he says, I am your good shepherd. Are we allowing Jesus to be our good shepherd today? Perhaps you did several months ago, or maybe years and years ago. But is he still your shepherd? How are we going to respond to Jesus being our good shepherd? How Jesus is our inspiration and our motivation to do good things around Nuneaton and around the world. How do we respond? Well, this is how Jesus responded. The good shepherd became the lamb. And in a few minutes, we're going to be reading perhaps Isaiah 53, when we just think about the lamb that was slain for us. Jesus, our lamb, that was slain. That's how Jesus responded. He was the good shepherd, but he responded to us by becoming the Paschal lamb, the lamb that was sacrificed for us. For myself, God tells me regularly that 10 or 20 minutes every day isn't enough. Sunday mornings isn't enough. And I might be reading the Bible a fair bit, but that's not really pursuing my relationship with God. That's kind of just intellectual things. And all that, that's good. I know God says to me, I want to be with you. And I want you to be with me. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to imagine we're taking a a drive together. I want us to go from Nuneaton to Paris. All right. Now I worked out, well I didn't work it out, I just looked it up on the internet. And it's about 400 miles away. And on a normal sort of day, without too many hold-ups, it would take seven hours. What would it be like if I took ten minutes to look at the map before I set off and then didn't look at it again for the rest of the journey? And what if there were three passengers in the car and I didn't talk to them at all on the journey? So for seven hours, I just remembered what I'd read for ten minutes at the beginning of the day and then just... Everything was all right. But I wasn't sort of looking at the map again. And the three passengers in the car... I wasn't speaking to them. They were chattering amongst themselves. But I was just looking at this concrete or tarmac in front of me. That would be weird, wouldn't it? And yet how often, perhaps, do we spend our day, just 10 or 15 minutes in the morning, and then the rest of the journey of the day, we don't include God at all? I'm guilty. And yet today, I want to say to God, I'm sorry. Be my good shepherd today. I want to follow you wholeheartedly through the day. I want to be speaking to you, listening to you, talking and reading your Bible and just remembering bits of your Bible. We haven't done that for ages, having a Bible memory verse and stuff. Maybe we ought to do that again very soon, but maybe you can do it tomorrow, this afternoon. You can just say, I'm going to look at the Bible and just pick a verse and remember what it is and just get some meaning out of it. We're going to pray, but this is how we're going to pray. There's a verse in the Bible, and that says, uh, oh yes, there it is, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Now, if you want to look that up when you get home, that'll be really good, because then you can pray for everyone who's here this morning by reading this prayer. And what I want us to do is just by finishing together before we sort of worship and take communion and think about other things, is to read this prayer together. 
because it's talking about the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. So it's just reminding us that as we pray, the person who whoever wrote Hebrews was saying, yes, let the good shepherd be your good shepherd. So we're going to pray this together. If you want to stand, that would be really good. If you want to sit down a bit longer, that's okay as well. But we can stand and pray this together just before we conclude this part of the service. So let's do that now then, shall we? Now, may the God of peace, who is the author and the giver of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood that sealed, ratified, the everlasting agreement, covenant, testament, strengthen, complete, perfect, and make you what you ought to be, and equip you with everything good that you may carry out his will, while he himself works in you and accomplishes that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ the Messiah, to whom be the glory forever and ever, to the ages of the ages. Amen. So be it. Amen. Please be seated. So yes, thank you Lord that you are our good shepherd. Thank you Lord that you inspire us for great things because of being the good shepherd. Lord, motivate us this week, inspire us this week as we see you being our shepherd. Help us Lord to help others who are having difficulties in life to share our lives, to be you to other people, Lord. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen.